cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Mac CC and meet some of the players and characters of the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is Burns Garage. Burns Garage are a local car dealership specialising in Ford cars. They also provide servicing and clients, including the chairman himself. Their team of experienced staff have a wealth of knowledge and would be delighted to help you find the right car. They also very kindly donate £50 to the club for every car purchased by a member of Macclesfield Cricket Club. So if you are looking for a new car and want the satisfaction of excellent customer service, look no further. They are currently running a promotion for air conditioning and vehicle interior disinfection at a discounted rate of £25 for Macclesfield Cricket Club members. Give Robert a ring on 07850 340192 to find out more. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man has the unique distinction of being able to call himself a genuine all-rounder, especially compared with some of the people to do so previously on this podcast. Brought up in Cumbria, he is a product of Sedba School. Having played cricket in and around the Cheshire League system, he progressed from minor counties to win his first professional contract with Lancashire in 2011. He bowls fast, hits big. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jordan Clark. Clarky, how are you? I'm very good, Miles. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm very, very good. Thanks very much for taking the time to come and talk to us about uh, all things cricket. Oh, no problem, mate. Yeah, anytime. Looking forward to it. First thing is, mate, how have you been dealing with the uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff? Well, the pandemic for me, uh, obviously, it struck early last season. Uh, we were about to go on pre-season to Dubai. Obviously, that got cut short. Well, we didn't go at all, to be honest. And then it was just sort of a guessing game from then. So it was just a sort of process where you had to do as much as you can with it being locked down just to be physically ready for any sort of date um, which was put on it which obviously got pushed back to I think it was July where we started in the end which is obviously not ideal for anyone to plan that's just that's just how it was and obviously now we're back in a bit of lockdown aren't we so but obviously off season it's not as sort of hard to manage uh, so that's where we're at, at the minute fantastic well we're going to come back to a little bit of the uh, getting yourself in shape especially when it comes to the bowling a bit later but ordinarily at this juncture I tend to ask our guests to tell us what they do when they aren't playing cricket of course however with yourself and with our other professional guests it's, it's probably more appropriate just to ask who you play for so obviously currently I'm another two years with Surrey and my sort of off-season looked a little bit like pre-season in Dubai as uh, my wife was working for Emirates so I had a good relationship with the UAE uh, Dougie Brown was was the coach uh, we had a good relationship there where we you know I would net with the UAE bowlers and sort of hit against hit against their bowlers and bowl against the batters so it was a good sort of uh, little gig had going I played in the T10 last year, which was also in Abu Dhabi. Obviously, gained some great experience from that tournament, which was something completely different to what I've ever experienced. Obviously, T20 is a, a very fast-paced game, and to play the T10 was just a completely different experience, but obviously a very good one. But this year, um, because of travel restrictions, you literally can't leave your house without you know, breaking rules. So it's just going to be a, a winter in London, just getting fit for the season, really. And uh, hopefully trying to stay out of trouble, I assume. Exactly, yeah. Get your head down. <laughs> just get ready get ready for the season and don't get injured 
It's my uh, priority. Taking it all the way back now, I thought it'd be interesting to maybe ask you about your earliest cricketing memories. Um, well, I, I grew up in a little village called Cleeta, um, where we used to go down the nets and play every day, trying to follow in my old man's footsteps. So my first memories would be playing for Cleeta between the age of seven and eight-year-old. And then it just sort of stemmed from there, really. Becoming part of Cumbria Schools Cricket Club, or Cricket County, as you call it. Played with the likes of, you probably heard Ben Stokes, he used to play there. He's, uh, <laughs> he's done all right for himself. I heard his name mentioned around the block once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's done very well. So, yeah, that's where sort of my career stemmed from. And then obviously from from Cumbria, getting my first contract with Lancashire, now, now currently at Surrey. Very good. And obviously you mentioned kind of early cricket there with, with your club. Obviously you went on to Sebba School. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear about your experiences, maybe playing some schoolboy cricket and then on to uh, some England representation as a schoolboy as well. Yeah, so I went to Sebba when I was 14. So I've been back in 2004, roughly. And I don't know if you've seen Sebba or for the people that are listening have haven't seen Sebra. I was lucky enough to play on probably one of the most picturesque cricket grounds in the UK, I reckon, and probably even in the world. So I was very lucky on that front. And we, we did play some very good schools. So the standard was, was pretty good for uh, schoolboy cricket. And obviously, with sort of reputation and doing well, um, Langs offered me a sort of academy contract. And that's where you sort of get selected for the for regionals, which is obviously the north of England Um Played with the likes of Charlie Reed. He was Alderley Edge. He he was in the uh, the regional team that I was in. Some of the big names who were well, Joe Root was there. Ben Stokes, you know, huge names who have gone on to do you know wonders for England. And with the regionals, you have a, a festival at fifteen year old or under fifteens um, called the Bunbury Festival, which was in Sussex the year I was trialling to play for England, and that's the year I got picked. So yeah, that's that's the route that I took, and and then went on to play uh, under fifteens. England schoolboys. And you mentioned there about sort of the standard um, that you managed to play. I, I thought it'd be interesting to hear, what, you know, at the time when you were that sort of age playing at school and, and I'm sure you played sort of first team in, in, in your sixth form years and things like that. Um, how did you find the standard? And, and at that stage, would you say you were aiming and wanting to be a professional cricketer? I think, yeah, the, the way I've, the way I've sort of being brought up um, everything revolved around cricket so it's I mean I never thought too far ahead it was always just, I would always do what I enjoyed doing I would never I mean to this day now I still don't really plan like ahead I just take every day as it is so when I was young I just loved to play cricket and then going to Sedba having that sort of freedom um, to meet new people and to go and play at a different sort of club or school you know I sort of that really excited me and then as as the standard the standard was actually really good because I, when I went I was 14 year old playing for the for the full side which was you know the sixth form sort of as you call it so uh, yeah we played people like Kings um, you know Millfield all these sort of schools so as a 14 year old playing 18 year olds initially when I went there it was obviously it was quite a challenge but it was a good challenge and um, yeah, I loved every minute of it, to be fair. Well, it's interesting you mentioned, uh, obviously, about playing Kings, because on our, our most recent episode of the podcast, we actually had one of our lads from Mac who, who went to Kings, and he mentioned playing against Sedba um, in an under-17s and under-18s uh, T20 finals. Um, 
subsequently Kings lost both of them for the record. So there's one for Sedba. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he did mention it. What a what a great place it is to play and and, and things like that. And as I say, I've I've never played there myself, but I've certainly seen photos, and it does look a pretty good place to play cricket. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, to this day, I, I played a, a few stadiums in my time, and and a lot of impressive places. But Sedba obviously holds a bit of my heart for it because it's 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 so. Yeah, it's so picturesque, and obviously growing up there playing school cricket, it actually been a really good, really good deck as well to play on. I always love, you know, playing my time there, and uh, yeah, it's obviously it's really enjoyable. And were you uh, were you a genuine all rounder when you were at school? Were you did you favour the batting or the bowling more? I was a wicket keeper till about seventeen year old. I got selected in the England side, as we were talking about before, as a wicket keeper. But I used to be quite small when I was young. It, it took me a while for me to have my growth. For I didn't think I'd grow <laughs> till I was about seventeen, eighteen. And then I just said to my dad one day, like, I, I can't bend down anymore. It's too weird and I can't be bothered. So I just want to, I want to rack the, uh, I want to rack the wicket keeping off and try and try and ball fast. It just stopped the enjoyment for me. So I, I think, you know, once that sort of happened, I was just, I made a decision that wicket keeping wasn't for me. And I'm, I'm pretty glad I, I did so because I'm six foot four now and, and I literally can't touch the ground. I'm not stiff. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that, Clarky, because you must be the only person I know that's ever said that they gave up wicket keeping and complained about wicket keeping to take up fast bowling because their back hurt. I mean, you've, <laughs> yeah. you've got to have that a bit backwards, surely. <laughs> I know. I was just honestly, I was the stiffest boy at the time, and I was just I knew like my time was up wicket keeping, so that was it for me. Very good. Also, I can't imagine many wicket keepers out there who are. Uh, able to shove it down at 85 plus so uh yeah, i reckon you're in a small minority there clarky yeah well i obviously i couldn't shove it down at 85 plus when i'd stopped wicket keeping um <laughs> no. I, I, my back actually snapped when i started bowling i got a stress fracture in uh in new zealand at 19 uh which pretty much stopped my bowling until i was about 22 so it wasn't a smooth tra- uh, transition from wicket keeping to bowling by any stretch yeah i, w- I was going to ask you about that actually and uh, Next question was going to be how how did you sort of find that sort of stress fracture in, in your journey from bowling? To be fair, it was actually quite tough. Looking back now, it was more the the effects coming back, not not in terms of um, physical. So I was actually, you know, I was all clear, did all the processes, did all the strength work, uh, bone density was fine. You know, it was all I had, I had the green light to go and bowl, but mentally it just sort of shattered me a little bit. I was sort of as what you call getting the yips. So. I would start bowling in the net where I just couldn't make it bounce. So I was bowling the side net and it was just the scared factor, which completely threw me. And it took me a, it took me a, a long time. Well, a lot longer than it should have done to, to get me back where I could start competing. It probably took two or three years off my career in terms of putting me in good stead to be selected for the first team where, because of the process was so slow, you know, I wasn't giving myself the best chance to be picked because bowling wasn't a string of my bow at that, at that point. I was just class as a batter. And obviously with the sort of the emergence and importance of things like sports psychologists, um, did you at all work with anyone like that in, in terms of the mental side in, you know, in, your, in your rehabilitation? I mean, now I would have, I would have all this access to all these people, all these psychologists. Um, it wasn't really until I was about 25 when psychologists, in fact, no, there was, there was a psychologist at Langs because I was a young player. It, it, it never really, I never... I wasn't made aware. I wasn't. My knowledge on that sort of side of the game wasn't. It was just basically get yourself fit, play play cricket, um, and enjoy it. It wasn't. 
I never seen it as so as so technical and, and how deep you could go into that sort of stuff. So it's only now through experience, knowing that I could have accessed that, but you sort of don't because you're just young and you just sort of have no worries, keep it simple and just play. But yeah, looking back now, it would be something I probably would have changed or yeah, gone in a different direction with. But you sort of, yeah, that's that's experience, isn't it? You, you learn from your mistakes or your setbacks. And would you say at the, at the opposite end of things, um, given that you had that time off from, from bowling and obviously you've described, you know, the, the long road back and the fact that you felt it held you back, do you think possibly that might help to sort of extend your career in terms of a, a fast bowler, you know, towards the end of your career, which obviously you know nowhere near yet? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a million dollar question, really. I, I, I mean, you see the states which bowlers get in when they're sort of 34, 35 you know they're very prone to injury but it's a question I would never I would never be able to answer because I, I just wouldn't know how I would feel at that sort of stage if I had been born a lot earlier or you know for when I did sort of start properly bowling at 24 I just yeah I'd like to think so but you know we'll sort of, we'll see I struggle getting out of bed after bowling six overs in, in the indoor centre so we'll see <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that feeling and I certainly don't bowl anywhere near as fast as you do. I think that we can all agree on. So going back towards your kind of journey to professional cricket there, I know we, we touched a little bit on on some of the things and, you know, your journey to the Lancashire Academy. Obviously, you did play some minor counties cricket. Um, I thought it'd be interesting just to hear your experiences with that. And, and do you think that was one of the driving factors towards your, uh, your initial Lancashire Academy offer? Yeah, I think I played three games for... Cumberland, I think it was. It was only three. It was a short. It was a short career for Cumbria. I mean, that's sort of the, the step in between sort of club cricket or a good standard club cricket and second team cricket for Lancashire. You know, you have sort of ex pros and people who are trying to make it in the game. So it's it's that sort of transition you need, um, and it was quite a good eye opener for me. I mean, I don't remember the games too well, but um, I think one game I got five wickets, but the four overs before I'd probably gone at nine and over. So it was. You know, it gives you that sort of experience and that learning curve, and what you sort of, what you're going to expect when you start making it as a professional, or when you're going to transit through the second team to the first team. So it was quite, it was a quite a good experience and quite a good eye opener, and it was good just for a young, a young kid just to be exposed to sort of adult cricket, you know, like quick ball and stuff like that, and see how you react. So it was good, really. How did your initial uh, approach from from Lancashire come then towards the academy? Obviously, cricket's quite a small community. Uh, it's you know people talk, uh, and I was obviously doing really well um, for Sebber. I think I got an award for the school wisdom cricket or something. I can't remember what it was. So then they have Cumbria have a, a bit of a feeding system into minor uh, into the major counties like Durham, mainly Durham and um, Lancashire. So I was in contact with John Stanworth, who, which was the academy coach at the time. Um, and he used to make visits to Seba maybe once a month, sort of check on me, check on my progress. And then once once my school was finished, I signed with Bowdoin in the Cheshire League. And that's where we started working properly with Lanks. I would be in the second team, play games during the week, and then I would go and play in the Cheshire League on the Saturday. And it was basically just based on results then, what happened. And then obviously doing well in the, the seconds, that's why I got signed with Lanks in 2011. Well, you talked about obviously making your transition there into the Lanks Academy. And of course, at the same time, you began playing in the Cheshire County Cricket League system. Um, so I thought we'd just spend a bit of time talking over some uh, 
some numbers and some games, if you can remember. I won't test your memory too much, hopefully, Clarky. But uh, looking at you, you play cricket. I don't know whether you, you would have done this or the last time you did, probably a while ago. But um, you actually have got quite a, a comprehensive set of, of uh, matches and figures on play cricket. So we like a bit of stat badgering here on the podcast. I'm sure all the listeners do as well. So <laughs> just going to gonna run over your stats for what they are and play cricket. So you've got a, 128 games. Um with 117 innings, 17 not outs, scoring 4,887 runs with a highest score of 144 not out, averaging 48.8 with 3450s and 800s. Some pretty good numbers. I think uh, anybody playing in the Cheshire County uh, League would be pretty proud of that. And then uh, the bowling, mate, we'll have a look at that as well. You've got... Oh, God. Seven... <laughs> seven... Seven... Yeah, 764.1 overs, 110 maidens, 154 wickets with a best of 8 for 27 uh, and 6 5-wicket hauls, striking at 29, averaging 20. So, uh, yeah, some, some good numbers. I don't know how pleased or uh, proud you are of those numbers. You're probably cursing me for bringing them up now. No, I just wish that they were like my first-class stats, but... <laughs> <laughs> well... But they're not. <laughs> obviously, you know, you've, you've played for a few clubs in and around the Cheshire system and, and have played at lots of the grounds. Um, but, you know, given this is a Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast, Clark, yeah, I thought I might try and uh, jog your memory and see if you remember a game from a little while ago. So this is actually the 23rd of April 2016. You're playing for Oldley Edge at the time. And uh, Macclesfield's... Uh, won the toss and elected to bat at Macclesfield, posted 201 all out in 50.5 overs. Yourself that day, you opened the bowling, 17 overs, two maidens, four for 54. Do you remember this game at all? I can't recall that game at all, sorry. Um, <laughs> the only game I, re- I remember playing against Mac was, I think it was for Chester, and it had been 2014, I think, and I bowled through, <laughs> I bowled 20, it was 25 overs roughly. Um, I remember I remember snicking Khalid Sawas off, first or second over, I think he was open the baton or three. Stephen uh, Ogilby caught behind, no ball. And I think I got no wickets until my last ball, which was a full toss on leg stump, which got leading edge in the air. So probably bowled 25 overs for 400 or something that day, um, which is the only memory I have of playing at Mac. But it's always nice back there, isn't it? It's always a decent deck, so yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, it's it's still a bit of a road. Um, I'm afraid to say as a bowler, but um, you know, we we have to take the rough with the smooth. Um, there's another game from your your sort of Cheshire County league career. I thought I might um, ask you about. Hopefully, you, you remember this one. Um, again, this was for Oldley Edge um, versus Neston, um, and this was from the 14th of May 2016 as well. Um, Neston won the toss and batted first and they were 83 all out and it is indeed your uh, your best figures you opened the bowling that day 13.2 overs 7 maidens 8 for 27 uh, do you remember that game? I do I just remember it was a very good toss to win which turned out I can't believe that they, um, they batted on that day I remember it being drenched the pitch was so wet and as it dried up we obviously got better batting conditions so it was just quite funny to sort of expect if you lose the toss that we would have been batting but I think Neston chose to bat that day and then fortunately I, I had the new rock bowling on a bit of a minefield so <laughs> <laughs> 
it's interesting to hear you talk about some of the sort of pitches and experiences in, in your time playing in, in the Cheshire League. I just thought it'd be interesting to ask you about kind of what, what your experiences were really um, in terms of the standards of opposition and, and indeed some of the pitches that you played on. I just found the Cheshire League's really good standard. Um, and I think it's probably one of the, the better standard um, competitions or leagues around around the country, really. You have a lot of very good amateurs. You know, be, you know when you're normally playing against club cricket, so you normally get to like six or seven, and then you're down to people where you can generally just knock over. But in the Cheshire in the Cheshire League, you're you're so, you still have good batters down at six and seven, and you don't really have them bunnies that you just try and clean up. But so it's always good playing in the league, you know. Also, I found it so much fun. It's it's uh, everyone knows each other. It's it's good like a good banter after the game. You can normally either stay down with the lads if you're you know I used to live sort of. North Cheshire. So when I played down at Chester, it's great staying down with the lads. Or if we we're playing at Hyde, you know the lads would stay down, get a hotel, and it was always it was always good good banter, good crack. So it was yeah, it's very enjoyable playing in, in the Cheshire League, and I'm I'm happy that I got the sort of yeah got the honour playing there throughout my sort of growing career when I was sort of 19 to, to 24, 25 really. And you mentioned obviously Macclesfield being uh, renowned as a bit of a good deck, and obviously there are some minefields out there. Um, any other sort of standout games or experiences um, from from your time? I think my favourite year in the Cheshire League was probably winning the treble with Chester in 2014. I think it was. But yeah, I mean, even the the, the league as a whole, there's generally. I know I said minefield before. There's generally no not many minefields, but it's it's obviously weather dictated. Um, you can come across any pitch that's like took eight hours of rain the day before. It's going to be a bit of a shoddy pitch wherever you play really but the standard of, of everything was was pretty good throughout so yeah so that'll be my memory obviously you know everyone loves a good green wet seamer in april but uh, i suppose the standard of pitches when you play in the professional game is uh, a little bit different to sort of macclesfield in the rain in april or indeed chester or oddly edge yeah yeah obviously there's a standard to to keep but yeah, you still the odd pitch. I mean, even in professional standards, you still get the odd pitch. You know, because they're they you sort of portray a pitch to be fast and bouncy. If you get a pitch that's that's pretty decent but has the odd crack in it, which you know makes it go up, then it becomes dangerous. Then, whereas if you're playing on the slow ones, you sort of have time to get out of the way of those. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast since the debut episode back in March. We have amassed over 7,000 unique downloads and been recognised by the ECB with a national award for proactive leadership in the community, as featured recently on Sky Sports. The podcast continues to develop and grow, and I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you, the listeners, for continuing to support and engage with the podcast. The podcast is self-funded, and we could not continue to create content without the support of our patrons. Thanks to our most recent patrons, Carl Burgess and Paul Fairclough. Thank you. For anyone interested in supporting the podcast, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash get it whacked, or you can click the link in the description of this podcast. Thank you. Well, you're a good sport over your uh, your stats and stuff and some numbers for Cheshire there. And, and I know you said you'd, you'd love those to be your, your first-class stats, but we're going to run over those as well, if you don't mind, Jordan. Oh, God, go on then. <laughs> so uh, your first-class stats were batting, 52 matches, 72 innings, 1,892 runs with a highest score of 140. And your bowling, 
946 overs, 99 wickets with a best of 5 for 58. (laughs) 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 Very good, mate. Yeah, I'm I'm not much of a stat man. I just, yeah... I'll try and make it, probably because they're not that good, so I'll just feel like, yeah, they're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I say, we do like some stats on here, but we also like uh, talking about some experiences and uh, memories from games, and there are, are a couple from your, your professional career that you're pretty synonymous with, one of them very much in particular. But uh, the first we're going to come to, perhaps some of the listeners might not be aware of, but on the 24th of April 2013, you became only the fifth player in professional cricket to hit six sixes in a single over. The unfortunate bowler was a left-arm spinner called German Randawa. But I thought it'd be interesting just to just to ask you about your experiences with that. You know, really, do, do you remember every every shot? Or yeah, I actually remember it quite quite clearly. It was a bit of a bizarre one, really, because it was obviously three-day, four-day cricket. So it was red ball, where you obviously meant to grind your way to to a innings, you know, instead of just trying to whack your way to a score. Um, but it was just all impulse. It just—I remember all the shots because they're all the same. It was just a big dirty moo over cow every ball, <laughs> um, and obviously you don't plan for you don't, you don't plan to hit six sixes. Sort of just hit two or three, and it, sort of impulse took over. Um, and and once you hit four or four, potentially five, you just you know it's you're going to just try and hit the next ball for six, aren't you? So um, luckily for me, they're all in the same spot. Pretty much. Do you remember what the state of the game was um, in terms of the innings? You know, were you looking at, uh, you know, trying to push on in the innings, or was it a, a period of consolidation and, and you just thought, oh, stuff that I'm going for it? It was. It was day one. It was day one, and it was just before lunch, I think. So, you know, it wasn't like we were chasing anything, or we were actually setting the total. Um, and I had literally no intention of of doing anything. I think when I think when I fancy my chances against a bowler, then you're probably looking for something. And obviously, slog sweep is probably a strength of mine. And every ball was sort of slog sweep length. So I just kept doing, pretty much executed what I wanted to that ball. But it just happened six times in a row. <laughs> it was there's was no change. There's no change up in my uh, in my favour. Fortunately, you know. So it, that's just what happened. And luckily, I just didn't cloth any of them. And then, yeah, obviously, executed all all six. And and do you remember at what point in the over you kind of felt you were you know, totally on top? Was it was it early or you know? I mean, everyone loves the feeling of hitting a nice six, don't they? So after two or three, you you you're probably puffing your chest out a little bit then already. Um, but you don't have hitting six in in mind. Um, you know, from an early stage. But I think after three or four, I was just gonna whatever was coming down. I was just trying to hit as far as I can, really. <laughs> <laughs> and hit them very far, you did indeed. Well, uh, moving on to the other the other sort of uh, memory, shall we say. Perhaps your most famous highlight reel moment came in 2018 when you took what many consider to be the greatest hat-trick in county cricket history, comprising of England captain Joe Root, New Zealand captain Kane Williamson and Johnny Bairstow. Yeah, firstly, what was that experience like? Yeah, obviously, very surreal. Um, like, again, you don't, I don't think anyone sets out to sort of take hat-tricks or, you know, you play the game and, and, and try your best and sort of see what comes of it, really. Um, I obviously remember, I remember, I think the, the, the two overs before the hat-trick over, 
I went for like 18, 18 of two. Joe Root kept cutting me uh, behind square. Miss, I wasn't missing by huge amounts, but it's just fine margins with players um, of that calibre. Uh, so I was just getting frustrated with myself, thinking, oh, it's going to be one of them days. And it was just a case of, you know what, if you're going to have a bad day, you might as well just give it, up, give it all, try and bowl as quick as you can and see what comes of it. And obviously that came of it, which was maverick enough as it is. And yeah, it was just a, a surreal moment, really. Now, uh, as well I know, it's, it's always dangerous to ask a bowler this question, but... Um... You know, what do you remember about the sort of pitch and conditions, and and indeed, what was the ball doing much in the air? It was swinging a little bit, yeah. It was it wasn't the fastest wicket, so it was you almost have time to adjust to any lateral movement or or swing. I mean, I don't think it was the highest scoring game, but it was it was a, basically a good cricket wicket um, where if you bowled well, you would get results. I think I just got lucky to run back, and then the third one, which. Not many of my friends know that I tried to run back, swung away. <laughs> Johnny Bersto nicked it. So, yeah, I'd tell everyone that I, you know, I was meant to swing that last one away. But basically, I was just trying to bowl as quick as I could straight, and it went the other way. Luckily, and he pushed it. Well, you, you've done you've done one third of a description job there, Clarky. Do, do you want to do you want to describe the three balls for us? Come on, put us out of our misery. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so obviously being frustrated and get, getting hit to the boundary pretty much every other ball, I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to bowl as quick as I can straight. Obviously getting my wrist wrong. Two have gone in. <laughs> Joe, trapped Joe LB. <laughs> Got the next one wrong. Uh, ran back to Kane Williamson, hit him LB. And then the third one, which swung away, got that one wrong. And then, yeah, <laughs> it went, swung away, nicked it, caught Josh Butler. <laughs> and there we are, ladies and gentlemen. In his own words, the uh, what many consider to be the greatest hat trick in county cricket, and it was all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are doing yourself uh, an incredible disservice for anyone that's not seen it. Uh, it's very, very, very worth a watch. And indeed, for Macclesfield uh, Cricket Club players, supporters, I'll, I'll pop a video up in in the WhatsApp group. But uh, anyone else that's listening, please do give it a watch. Uh, it's uh, it's not the worst hat trick you'll see. That's what I'll say. You're too kind, Miles. Too kind. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I thought it'd be interesting just to go back to something you were talking about before, at the start of the podcast. Obviously, you know, we find ourselves in a, in a second sort of national lockdown, um, and you mentioned there kind of having to get yourself fit and ready to go for cricket at, at kind of a moment's notice. Really, what did your kind of first lockdown look like? But you know, firstly, as, as as a batsman, and obviously there's limited stuff you can do, but also as a bowler. Um, I know uh, from reading on online and stuff, the ECB had a, a very sort of hard and, uh, you know, return to play for the international bowlers and all that sort of stuff. Um, what, what what were the challenges for, you, for yourself? So uh, when it obviously first got announced, there was literally, ECB had a very strict, like, no, no cricket policy. There was zero cricket to happen at any local clubs or county grounds, you know, it was... It was, you need to, you're not above the law, you, you are abiding by the rules, um, period. So there was no leeway on that. So it was basically just programmes you were given by your club, which uh, luckily we were able to grab some weights from uh, Surrey's gym. So uh, we were, I, I was able to work out my back garden, just try and say, like, fit and strong to an extent. You know, you can do your running outdoors. There's no excuse there. Um but then they slowly had the return to play um, programming process, I think, which started to happen sort of early June. I can't really remember the dates, but um, 
we were sort of coming in in, in patches um, to, to bowl. Uh, I think it was like three people at a time. Poor coaches were there all day because obviously they have to oversee it all, but there was, you know, time slots given. So three in a, every hour, uh, do your bowling, have a hit, and then you, you sort of leave, really. There was no dressing room. Um, there was bring your bag to work, take it back with you. It was all very strict protocols with hand sanitizer and all that. Um, so it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a, a tough sort of uh, thing to get your head around. Um, but these are the sort of things you had to do just to make sure that the ECB um, were abiding by the rules and to the government and all that. So but it was just quite good to get some cricket in the end, end of the season. Um, I mean, I didn't really play all season because I was injured, but um, just to see, uh, you know, people putting on cricket like they had the T20 finals day which was which aired uh, with Sky so people just sort of sitting at home they could they could watch some sport which was just a great break up because it was such a disaster of a year wasn't it really mm, absolutely did you end up um, in and around any of the testing or the sort of biosecure nature I don't know what it was like for the finals day or, or whether you were involved yes yeah, so it was I mean with the county stuff it wasn't so much you weren't really in a bubble. It was more the England. But we, when we were playing finals day down at Birmingham, we were in a hotel. We weren't allowed to leave the hotel. It was, you know, you order Uber Eats or eat at the hotel. There was no going out, you know, just to make sure that there wasn't any cases, which uh, you see how it goes. If one person in the cricket team gets COVID, then they basically isolate whoever come into contact, uh, whether it was the start of the game, you know, both teams would isolate. Um, so it would just basically shut down the whole, it would shut down the whole, finals day so it was just being as precautious as you could and, and just abiding by the rules really now uh moving on clarky uh i thought we'd uh i thought we'd introduce a new section to the podcast here in uh, in the first sort of series of the podcast uh, we had the quick fire questions for all our listeners now uh, since we've come back for our second season um we've uh, decided to change it up a bit but now that we've got some uh, some exciting guests lined up alongside our, our macclesfield players and supporters and characters we're very lucky to be joined by people like yourself from the professional game um, and indeed we you know have some other guests to come so I thought I'd introduce a new section which I'm going to call ask the pro and uh, for regular listeners you might recognize a few questions from uh, the original questions but uh, Clarky you are going to be the first recipient of the ask the pro section so are you ready ready here we go Nickname? Clarky. Left or right-handed? Right-hand. Bat or ball? Bat. Favourite fielding position? Third man. Oh, mid off. Oh, there we go. Test or T20? T20. Fastest bowler you faced? Oh, Ferguson. Biggest hitter? Aaron Finch. Biggest talker on the pitch? It would be... Liam Livingston. Messiest in the dressing room. Mark Storman. First thing on your plate at teas? Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just a big chicken. What <laughs> about chicken on my plate? <laughs> Proudest achievement on a cricket pitch? Uh, probably winning the 2015 um, T20. Karaoke song of choice. Neil Diamond. Superpower of choice. Invisible. Where in the world would you like to live? In Bali. 
And last but most importantly, who has the better cover drive, you or Khaled Sawaz? Hundred <laughs> percent me. <laughs> Khaled Sawaz. Oh my god. Now I've uh, I've resisted the urge to to bring up uh, the, the delightful human being Khaled Sawaz. But um, it would be remiss of me not to mention him, firstly, because he uh, helped set up this wonderful interview for everyone. But uh, secondly, I know, I mean, hopefully I can call him this, you know, you, you can dispel any rumours, but he, he is your great mate. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Cal, firstly, as, as a cricketer? Oh, what can I tell you about Cal? No, he's a, I actually come across Cal um, playing for South Caulfield in Melbourne. Uh, he was playing for Spotswood, I think it was called. I think I got him out first ball there as well, actually, so... <laughs> that's <laughs> twice I got him out one with a no ball now he's a, a player with him obviously Alderley I played against him when he played for Mac one of my really really good mates um, still waiting for him to, to buy me a pint after the game he's only asking me for money but that's alright I don't mind that it's fine <laughs> he'll hurt me for saying that but yeah one of one of Cheshire's great great characters um, still living in a house of, of nine people I think full of uni students and uh you know but he's a he's an absolute beauty and uh is he back with mac this year or is he as he packed in keeps telling me he's gonna pack in because he's useless but i'm not sure what's going oh, on. i mean the the man is an a myth an enigma and uh you know it's not worth asking these questions no we all hope very much he'll be with us next season he uh i think he enjoyed a bit of a season off this year uh t20 i'm not sure it's his not really his bag but no we we look forward to seeing cal back uh Scoring lots of runs for Mac next year. Yeah, I might come down and watch the game. Oh, It'd be lovely. Watch him get a first baller if you do. <laughs> no, I would, I would pay lots of money to see that <laughs> from the sidelines. <laughs> oh, well, moving on from talking about Khaled Sowers, as I said, it would be remiss of me not to mention him. Well, thank you very much for being the... Uh, the first guest on the Ask the Pro section, Clarky. Um, and before we head towards the end of the podcast, I thought it'd be great to hear your sort of aims for next season with Surrey. Um, so I think it's obviously a massive year for me next year. Um, last year, obviously injury injury affected my season. Um, first year, I was sort of getting to know the lads, um, you know, trying to fit in, seeing, you know, just get my bearings with everything. Whereas now I feel like I can really make my mark. Uh, on all three formats and ultimately win some silverware for Surrey. That's what I'd love to do. I think obviously t- there's a lot going on with the T20 and, and where that can take you around the world. Uh, my passion lies with T20. So it's obviously prepare, give, give it the best shot I can and see where it takes me really. Um, but basically being a, a permanent fixture um, or a permanent position in all three formats is where is where I want to be. And obviously you mentioned before about the sort of T10 competition um, and there are the various franchise competitions around the world. Um, are there any in particular you'd be really keen to play in? I think the one I love watching the most is the Big Bash. It's, it's advertised so well. Um, obviously being in Australia playing, it's something I've done before, obviously not to that standard, but it's it's amazing playing uh, over there. Um, I'd love to play in the T10 again because that was, it was so much fun. Um, a great format, which I think will become a massive thing soon because that's uh, it's basically a condensed game which exposes your skill at a higher higher level, really. Um, obviously, only bowling 12 balls, you have to be precise every ball or you, if you're opening the baton, you literally need to go from ball one. So that's that's really exciting. You can almost watch uh, there was three, or, three or four games in, in one day, I think, 
um, as a spectator if it's an to- organised tournament. So um, I think that could be a real hit um, in the UK or in Australia. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I'd say Big Bash or, or back in the D10, yeah. Clarky, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, really thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us uh, about all things cricket. Before we head off, any closing remarks from yourself? No, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, hope the Mac, Mac lads enjoy it. Um, don't give me too much stick, but yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, Clarky, thanks so much and uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you soon, preferably not to watch Khaled get a first baller. <laughs> Cheers, bud. Thank you.